Hey guys, this week's episode is brought to you by Agility Bed. Like most of those other online mattress companies, they'll conveniently ship a mattress to your door. But unlike the rest, Agility Mattress is a hybrid mattress instead of being all foam. You can learn why that's important later in the episode, along with a way to get $200 off your first order at agilitybed.com. I'm Yanni. And I'm Laurel. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. Today we're recounting our month-long shopping ban, the hardest parts, what we learned, and how much money we saved. Plus, how organizing our garage actually made us money, and we've got water meter issues again. You know how on Friends, Monica had her closet? Her like really super messy closet, but she's type A and everything else is clean. Yes. Our Monica closet is our garage. We just like put stuff in there to be dealt with and then never deal with it. Yeah. Like we have a two car garage, but it was definitely only fitting one car. Good thing we only have one car. Yeah. But it was like strollers, yet we have an eight year old and a four year old, but we still have a double stroller. Like what are we using that for? And like broken pots and planters that we had no intention of putting back outside because they were broken, but we were storing them for some reason. Right. Like we bought grass seed again because we couldn't find the other grass seed, like just a black hole. Basically the opposite of all the things we talk about on this podcast all the time, like minimalism and being organized totally not practicing what we preach in the garage no the garage is like it's like a bermuda triangle for us yeah against my better judgment i will put a photo of it in the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast well it doesn't look like that anymore that's why you have enough confidence to share it because we've like fixed our trouble spot well for now i mean we have a history of this you can go back in the blog and find us cleaning out our first garage like back in 2009 or 8 i don't remember when cleaning out the basement at our second house like we we go through these moments where they're really clean and they get messy again so i know this is temporary, but I'm very proud of us for having done it, at least for now. Well, I would say that a lot of times what we do is we organize what we have. And this time I'd say we took 100% of it out of the garage and then maybe 40 or 50% did not go back in. Yeah. And that's a difference because instead of organizing and putting everything back, but you still have too many things and things you forget about and things in front of other things and blocking things, the garage is like a wasteland now in like the best possible way. It's like as far as the eye can see. You mean like a desolate wasteland? Like yes. there's nothing there. Yes. It's empty. It's like a graveyard, but no bodies. That's a bad <laughs> What am I looking for here? Let's let's take a moment on this analogy. It's like... It's like a junkyard, but no junk. No junk. It's like an empty shipping container. <laughs> you know, like where Dexter would do his murders. <laughs> it's perfect for that, you guys. We even have clear drop cloths. It's okay. ready for Dexter. Let me bring this back. So kind of on this shopping ban kick where we're trying to get rid of things that we don't need, we decided to tackle our garage and actually clean it out so we could walk in there more comfortably and I didn't have to apologize every time someone walked through it. Yeah, because like the main way our friends and family enter our house is walking through this disgusting garage. Well, they walk through, as I say, please don't look at this. I'll clean it up eventually. It's not usually like this, but it usually is like that. It is always like that. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, like Sherry said, our process was that we basically just took everything out. Anything that wasn't already in its place. Like we've got bikes hung on the wall that are already in its place. But if they were just junking up the floor, they came out of the garage. And our first step was sort of divide things into, do we still need this or can we get rid of it? That was sort of the first question. And yes, there was stuff in there we absolutely needed, but there was probably about 50% or more that we could be done with, you know, whether there were things that our children had outgrown or that we weren't using or had been broken like those planting pots. And so of the things that we didn't need anymore, we right then and there, we sort of had to evaluate, okay, 
is this something that we can sell? Like, for instance, we had our daughter's old bike like that she's outgrown, but was just still in the garage waiting to be sold. And we literally put it on Craigslist. Well, I guess Facebook that Facebook day. Facebook Marketplace. I took the picture right there. We put it in the driveway. I wiped it down with a paper towel, listed it. It was picked up while we were still out there organizing the rest of the garage. Yep. And we did that with a set of chairs we had. I did it with some umbrella strollers we bought and had used for one vacation and never used again. What else did we sell? Uh, the like toddler bike seat we used to put on my bike so that our kids could ride with us when they were smaller. Right. So there were lots of things that like beyond babies were not being used and we're done having babies. So we got rid of a ton. We made $170 selling stuff while cleaning the garage. Um, $170 and a dozen eggs, Sherry. That's right. We did have someone who came to buy something and she had chickens and she so sweetly bought a container, like a full dozen eggs, freshly laid. She said, eggs in a store are about three weeks old and these eggs were three days old. Yes. And then we proceeded to talk her ear off about having chickens for about an hour. Uh, In addition to the things that we sold, there were then things that we decided just to put in a donation pile, things that we didn't really expect to get much money for and we just wanted to get out of our lives. So when we were done for the day, we loaded up that entire pile and that day just like drove it right to be donated. We have a new Habitat for Humanity Restore that just opened near our house, which is like the best thing ever. And so we dropped off like a giant dresser that we had had in there. It was like an old leftover dresser from a project years ago that I'd been using to store um, tools in. But then once I got the shed, I moved everything out there. So it was basically just an empty dresser taking up space. Right. And we had so many things. We had like an old hammock we didn't use because there's another hammock our kids prefer. We had an old umbrella that we weren't using. And we reasoned like, will we use it again? No, we'd probably buy one in like the color and design that we liked. This is like a a patio umbrella, not like a rain umbrella. Right. It was like old and faded. And we were like, let's donate that. I don't want to sell it. But I do think someone could use it in like the restore aspect. And we pulled up with our car full of stuff. And the girl was so excited. She was like, a hammock, an umbrella. This is perfect. I'm doing summer stuff. Yeah, I think they needed seasonal things for summer. So they were very excited to get it. I was very excited to be done with it. Exactly. We had like eight old folding chairs from outside that we used to use. But now we have like six real chairs plus two other real chairs. So like we have enough actual outdoor seating that we weren't using the folding chairs anymore. So it felt really good to put it on the car that moment and come home and there was just like an empty garage. Yeah, I mean, the thing we were trying to avoid is putting things off. Like say like, oh, we're going to donate this eventually. Or like, we'll sell this on Craigslist eventually. That was how the bikes and stuff ended up there for months and even years because we were waiting to sell them. And another thing I will tell you is that your piles will get messed up. So like if we had created a pile, oh, these are donations, but let's wait to get more donations from the attic or whatever. My fear is that over time the kids park their bikes in that pile or you move that pile to get to the wheelbarrow and places that you've designated as a section of something you're going to deal with later can get all muddled and mixed in again. And so what we really wanted to do is pull things out into the driveway, not bring them back into the garage, deal with them, like donate them, put them in the attic, Craigslist them, whatever we were doing. And then the only things that went back into the garage were the things that needed to be in the garage. I would literally describe it as almost completely empty. I thought we were going for another graveyard analogy. There is hardly anything in the garage, which is awesome because I don't think we want a lot of stuff in the garage. I mean, when we really think about it, that stuff belongs in the shed. If If it's work stuff. Yeah, if it's a tool. It should be in the workshop. Well, but I think it is a stretch to say there's nothing in there. There's still plenty of stuff in there, like our our bikes and all of our outdoor tools, like rakes and stuff. But if it was going to be in the garage, I wanted to make sure it had a place. So like a few years ago, we had kind of made an area where our rakes and our shovels and stuff were hanging, but it just fell out of use. 
Like it was hard to get to behind all the other junk. And yeah, so, we had like seven layers of things in front of it, right. which are now gone. Right. So by getting that out of the way, we could hang things back up. And there were several other things I realized, you know what? I can just tap a nail into the wall and hang up this trowel or the hedge clippers or something. I got things off the floor and hanging up where they had a place and where we could see them. And it wasn't fancy. It wasn't fancy at all. It was just like nails and screws I had left over that I just like put into the studs because it's an unfinished garage. But that's what I liked about the process. We weren't stopping to say like, let's go get seven Tupperware bins to organize this or let's go get a system for this. We were just like, let's get rid of as much as we can and just keep what we need and organize it in simple, useful ways. Well, I think that's where the shopping ban came into play because this was not a project we had planned to do as part of the shopping ban. And remember, that was one of our rules. Like we can only buy for projects that were already started or things that we had planned. So I knew going into it that to keep the rules of the shopping ban, we had to work with what we had. And that was a kind of fun challenge because typically I think when we step into these organization projects, you almost see it as an excuse to like go out and buy like the new buckets or the fun wall hanging system. Like it's kind of that joy people get of going to the container store. Like organizing is fun because you get to buy more. Right. I call it responsibility shopping. You're like, look at how responsible I am. I'm getting a pegboard. Look at me. Right. But like in reality, you might not need a pegboard and you're standing there buying more junk to put in the garage. (laughs) So we were able to get it organized in a functional way. It's not the prettiest thing, I will say, but we got it functionally organized without spending any money. Exactly. Plus, we made that $170 and the eggs. Yeah, we did. The eggs were like the most exciting surprise. So I will put a picture also of the after in the show notes. Again, it's not like the most pretty garage you ever saw because it is just an unfinished garage with like an open area in the middle now. (laughs) It is very, very functional. I would call it utility over beauty. Yes. But that's the purpose of this garage. This garage doesn't even have drywall, you guys. It's one of those like the back wall is drywalled, but the sidewalls are like open beam. Yeah, and a little bit spider webbed. Right. There's some patina in the garage, (laughs) I will say. It's character. And I do want to talk a little bit more about what we learned from our shopping man. But before we get to that, I have another water meter story. Water meter problems just follow us around, guys. It's the 2018 version of having water meter issues in Cape Charles. (laughs) This one is starring the duplex. Enter duplex, stage right. While the pink house just inched off the stage, stage left like maybe six months ago. The duplex was like, hold my beer. Yeah. (laughs) So... When we bought the duplex, some of you joked, did you guys check to make sure it had a water meter? Because if you remember on the pink house, we had this issue last summer where when we went to go connect all of our new plumbing to the town's water meter, we didn't have one. No water meter, just nothing. There were conversations about $10,000, $30,000 on us to add one, to dig up the street and connect to the water system. Yes, that all got resolved just fine. It did not cost us any extra money. I did cry publicly on the front porch for about an hour. Right, so in the show notes, I will link to all of those if you have missed that story. Not the pictures of me crying, just the, the podcast so you can catch up. Yes, so anyways... We checked first thing before we even put an offer on this duplex to make sure that, yes, it had water meters out front, one for each side. So that box was checked. We thought we would be fine in the water meter department. Well, fast forward to just a few months ago, and I'm getting our utility bills from Cape Charles because we get one for the pink house and we get two for the duplex, one for each side. And I noticed that on one of them, we were getting charged for water and sewer usage. And this is after we had shut off the water at the meter for months and we had demoed it. Like there was not water running to that house. And if there were, we should know about it because there was no plumbing inside. There were pipes that were just open-ended and it would have been gushing from them if there was water. (laughs) Yeah, so obviously there was a little bit of alarm in seeing that, but I calmly called the utility clerk to say like, hey, you know, what's going on? This shouldn't be happening. I don't know why it's just one side. And she was like, oh, no big deal. I'm sure it's just some sort of like clerical error. I will sort it out and call you back. 
I get a call back later that day. She's like, well, I didn't find out what I was hoping to find out. There must be a leak. I think she was suggesting that basically there was a leak somewhere between the main shutoff in the street and the house. So somewhere in the yard. So we just start picturing like having to excavate this whole yard and going through this whole ordeal again. But we, by coincidence, were going to Cape Charles the next day. And so by a couple other phone calls and then actually walking into the utility office that's just a couple blocks from our house, we were able to sort it out. We actually had to go meet with the same gentleman that helped us sort out the issue at the pink house. And we're like, hey, us again. Remember the water meter issue? He's like, oh no, what's wrong? Yeah, I'm sure he was not super happy to see our faces. But it turns out that there was a leak, but it was at their meter, like literally the thing that we had shut off. So it was under their jurisdiction to resolve. So they went and capped it so it all stopped leaking and got taken care of. So the issue was resolved relatively quickly, I would say within about like 24 hours. It was a heart-wrenching 24 hours. It was like, well, I don't understand if it's turned off at the meter. How could it be leaking in the yard? It's supposed to be stopping at the meter. But they were like, no, we looked at it and we think it's somewhere in the yard. And we were like, how? I think maybe they were just punking us because <laughs> it was like some little payback for like the ordeal last summer. I don't know. But then when we got there, it was all taken care of. One guy's like, oh, yeah, I noticed the meter was leaking. We'll take care of it. Not on you. Sorry they freaked you out. And I was like, oh, did they? They freaked yeah. us out badly. It's one of those moments, which I'm sure we're going to have a few of during this renovation, where we're like, why did we do this again? Right. Like after one water meter issue, it's like you don't want to have any more water meters for the rest of your life. Yeah, like that wound has healed. But it, for a moment, it was like ripping the scab right off again. You know what it was? It was fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. I don't want any other water no. meter. Next house I buy is not going to have any water. <laughs> But now let's talk about the shopping ban because the month long shopping slash browsing slash whatever we want to call it ban ended last week on May 15th. And if you don't know what the shopping ban is, we've talked about it a bunch in the last few weeks, but you can go back to episode 93 and catch the basics of it. Yeah, and we loved hearing from you guys who are doing it at home, coming up with names for it, doing it for a week, adapting the rules. I think you really have to make it work for you. Of course, our rules were, just to recap, we were allowed to buy food, groceries, basic kitchen supplies only if we ran out, like tinfoil, toiletries, and cleaning products only if they ran out. So not like a new shampoo because it's fun, but if we ran out of shampoo, we could replace it. We also could buy gifts for others. We could buy home improvement project supplies, but only for projects we had outlined and started slash planned. So we weren't like just deciding to buy new stuff at Home Depot for fun. It was all planned. And things our children needed, not wanted, like school supplies or things for a specific club they were in. Yeah, and so the things we were not allowed to buy, the things under the ban, were books and magazines. We had to use the library for that sort of stuff. Clothes or shoes, except if something breaks, like a flip-flop or a pair of jeans tear. No cosmetics, no household items like decor or furniture. That was the hardest one for us. Uh, no electronics or appliances. No takeout coffee, tea, or fun drinks from stores like Starbucks. And also Sherry added a rule at the end that she was not allowed to use any gift cards. Yeah, I worried that gift cards was like bending the rules and then it would make me feel like I should just go shopping and it would like, it would lead to my downfall. So I just said no spending at all in those categories. So we thought today, since our month is over, let's talk about sort of how we did, what the hard parts were, and sort of what the lessons learned were for us. And what we can't wait to buy. Oh, yeah. This is exciting. You guys are not going to believe yeah. the thing we want to buy we after a month of not shopping. We haven't bought it yet, but oh, man, we're building up to it. <laughs> the, the excitement is palpable. Yes. So first of all, how did we do? Guess what, guys? We did not cheat. 
We stuck to our guns. We were tempted at times. I actually think our competitive nature against each other helped because I didn't want to be the one who broke down and cheated. And then John said, well, I didn't cheat. Well, yeah, and we were trying to teach ourselves something. So we knew it was counterproductive to cheat. Yeah, and I actually think some of the rules helped the band feel less suffocating. Like, I think being allowed to buy for home improvement projects that we already started or planned um, really helped us stay focused. We didn't want to stop our productivity for a month and just not get to work on anything. But we also didn't want to decide in the middle of Home Depot, like, hey, let's do this other project. It like helped us stay laser focused and very mindful while shopping that we basically had three projects we had already planned and went into this month trying to do. Yeah, but I think the thing that made that hard, like, yes, it did alleviate some of the parameters because we still could shop. We still could go to Home Depot. But I think it also put us in the environment where temptation takes place. Right. I would say that too. I also mentioned when we were starting this project that we did have three bedrooms for kids that we were going to make over and I was doing a staging project amidst this whole month of no spending. And so people's advice started pouring in and it was just like, avoid those stores. Don't go into Target. Don't go on Amazon. But I was in the middle of shopping for a project for others. I was touching everything in the home section. So I was not practicing avoidance because I couldn't. I was embedded. I was like stroking things in the shopping aisles and I had to put them back. And I think it helped obviously to scratch the itch by finding and buying cool things for these kids and for these staging projects. But I would also say that it made it a little bit harder because I was exposing myself to all the things I potentially wanted. Sometimes scratching the itch only makes it itch worse. It's so true. So anyway, the thing that kept tempting me is funny because when I look at it, I'm like, why are these things tempting to me? But it's always like organizing type things or it's, they're called project finishers in my mind. They're like, we assembled the TV cabinet for the beach house. That's already a project that started. Well, that happened like two months ago. Right. So technically in my head, I was like, well, I already started it, but it needs baskets inside for the four shelves within it. I knew I could put games for the kids, remotes, store books in there. Like it just would be much more functional if I got baskets. But shopping man, I can't be hanging out in the basket aisle buying baskets. But it was really funny how my brain kept saying like, no, while you're here standing in front of these baskets, just buy the baskets. You're finishing a project. You'll be more organized. So even though I could kind of talk my way around it and decide it was a good move to buy the baskets, I said, no, no, that would be breaking the band. I think for me, one of the things that was hard was because there were kind of some built in loopholes to the band, you know, it was not an absolute you can't buy anything ban. It did put me in the position several times where I was like, wait, does this count or doesn't it count? And so I think if we really wanted to make a more pure experiment about uh, spending and budgeting, then we could have made it a little bit harder on ourselves. Because I wouldn't say it felt like too hard. No, once we got into the swing of it, it was easy. And a lot of things were very easy because it was cut and dry in some areas. Like if I'm in the pillow aisle, I'm not buying a pillow. Right. If I'm looking at vases or candles or decor, not allowed. I knew secondhand wasn't allowed, so I wasn't even going on places like Facebook Marketplace, which is one of my favorite places. That was probably the hardest thing to break myself of the habit of checking. But once I stopped checking, I wasn't tempted by the like amazing old table and the amazing old chairs. That isn't a habit I want to fully break because I love getting secondhand things. I love giving things new life and I love not having a house that's just full of new stuff. This sounds like justification. But no, it was a really good exercise for a month to just stop doing that and say like, I've got what I need. I'm okay. I can let it ride for a month and just not check in. But I will say another thing that was hard for me to resist in a specific instance was when we were landscaping the pink house and we were getting all the plants for the front landscaping, which was allowed. That was a project we had already started. The temptation to go inside the nursery and get little houseplants 
plants for inside of our house, which is one of my like fun shopping areas. Like, oh, I'll pick up a cute little house plant. It's $6. It'll last me a month or two. Like, it feels like even more... Before you kill it. Before I kill it. It's more responsible, in quotes, than buying flowers to me because they last longer. I can water them. There are some house plants I've had for years, believe it or not, that I haven't killed. So there's always the chance that this $6 plant will make it. But I was... Having to remind myself, like, no, there's a difference between finishing a front landscaping project at the beach house and popping in and getting, like, a cute little house plant. Like, one of those is more frivolous and less necessary than the other. Like, you have to landscape the front of your house. Like, it looks kind of bad. It's been a year. It's time to plant some bushes. Well, and there's a season to it. If we, like, delay it a month, we might miss it for, uh, you know, six months. Exactly. Well, I feel like since we're talking about some of the things that we learned from this, like, why don't we summarize, like, our takeaways? Sure. I think for me, and you touched on this a little bit, it's a lot about avoiding the places that are your temptations, whether it's an entire store or just a section of a store. Like I did go into this trying to avoid Target entirely because I knew it would be tough. Right. Avoiding Amazon entirely. Avoiding my secondhand favorite places. I didn't go to the thrift shops. I didn't go on Facebook Marketplace. I mean, I think we did avoid like clothing stores. Like we didn't just like hit up Old Navy because we were bored on a Sunday. Right. But we did go to Target. That is also a place we buy clothing. So I just made sure like I didn't go back to that section (laughs) anymore. Right. Right. And I had to be in like the decor aisles for other projects I was working on, which was tough. But I also think it was easier in my head because I was like, look, it's just 30 days. Like I can come back in a month. And one of the things I started doing was I made a list because I'm very list driven. I like to feel organized. I opened a doc on my phone and I just was like, I'm going to write down all the things that I want to buy when the band's over. One, just so I don't forget because sometimes I'll have an idea like, oh, I should get that and that will make X easier. Or, oh, I should get that. It's prettier than the whatever I have. And the funny part about making the list and then looking at it later is how much of the list was garbage. Like it was stuff I wouldn't walk four steps to buy from home. I think you're standing in front of it and it seems like a good idea and you're in that browsing and buying mindset. But when you write it down and look at the list later, you're like, I don't need that. And you delete it off your list. And so a list of like 10 things that I amassed over the month, I only really want to buy like two of them which is really funny to me. It's like I could have bought 10 things this month and not really cared about them one way or the other. But now that I waited, I wrote it down and I have a beat to think about it. I think it helps me evaluate what I really need. So if a shopping ban sounds too hard for you, I would suggest a shopping delay where maybe you just type things out in a list for a week, maybe even wait seven days, not 30, and only buy later what you actually want to buy. I like how you're basically stockpiling because you were going to binge after the shopping ban. I was. Well, I thought, oh, these are each like $6 things. So I'll give you examples. Like one of them was a really pretty marble soap pump at Target. Probably $7 at the most, maybe $9.99. And I put it on my list because I thought this is so much prettier than my plastic soap pump, you know, Miss Myers bottle or whatever I have at home. But then when I was looking at the list later, I was like, would I even walk to the car? That's when you're like, this is garbage. Yeah, I just was like, I wouldn't even make the trip to buy that. Like, it just seems inconsequential. My soap pumps are fine. But when you're standing there in front of it, you're like, oh, the soap pump's going to make my life. Like, I'm just going to feel so fancy and my house is going to be so perfect. And I think it's all based in this, like, fantasy of like how you're going to live versus how you're actually going to live. And I have another example of something I wrote down and then later I was like, who am I? That's not like my life at all. I saw this really pretty glass, light pink beverage dispenser. It was by Opal House, so I knew it wasn't going to be sold forever. It was like in a certain collection. And I pictured just like making lemonade and pulling mint from the herb garden and making a mint lemonade. You painted a story to convince yourself to buy it. I did. I thought like I'm the person who entertains by offering someone like a can of LaCroix from the fridge. Like I am not a person who makes mint lemonade and uses a pretty dispenser for it. But in my head, I was like, oh, it's summer's coming up. I want that to be my life. And then I wrote it down. 
down and looked at it like a week later and I was like, who am I kidding? That's going to be in a cabinet. Like that is going to take up half of a cabinet and I'm going to use it two times a year, if at all. Well, I think a lot of us do sort of aspirational shopping. Like we buy for the person we want to become, not the person we are necessarily. Right. And we think, oh, this season's coming up or this idea of entertaining's coming up or this idea of having fancy soap pumps is in your head when you're standing there. But if you really evaluate if you would actually make the trip for that item later or if you would actually use that item or want to store that item, like do you have a space in your cabinet for this big beverage dispenser when it's not in use? Yeah, one of the takeaways for me is that it helped me separate frivolous buying from necessary buying. Like that's really kind of how we tried to structure our rules, like the things we needed versus the things that we might be tempted to buy just for fun, like on a shopping trip. And it also, I think as part of that, helped me realize like when you go to a store, especially like a store like Target, you should walk in with a purpose, not with like, I'm just going to go see what happens. Right. Like have a list and don't go in and say like, I deserve it. This is me time. Well, I think I should qualify that and say like, there are opportunities to do that. Like it is fun to go like shopping with your friends or treat yourself sometimes, but that shouldn't necessarily be all the time. Like I feel like all the times that we would go to Target, we would kind of walk in with the attitude like, it's going to be fun to see what we come across. Right. Like, eh, you always spend $100 at Target. Yeah. What's going to hop in my cart today? Right. So we went there open to the fact that there would be bonus things we would discover along the way. And this really helped me switch my mind so that when I went to any store, I went there not necessarily with a literal list, but at least a mental list of like, this is the purpose of my visit. These are the items I need to pick up. And I could stay more focused on that. And it wasn't about the adventure of going through every aisle and weaving through every corner of the store just to see what caught my eye. Right. And I also think doing this with a partner would be a great idea because I think a lot of it was saying to John, like, I'm going to Target. I'm only buying these three things. Let's look at each other's eyes. Let's be strong. Like we held each other accountable. We reminded each other things. When I was standing there petting something in the pillow aisle, John would say shopping ban. All I had to say was shopping ban and she would like drop it. (laughs) She would realize that I was trying to catch her in a cheat. And then I also think taking inventory, which was something Kate talked about, just like knowing where you overbuy, knowing I don't need another pillow or vase probably for the rest of my life, knowing I overbuy sunscreen, I'm not touching that. Yeah. And I thought about that a bit more after talking to her, like the taking inventory part, because it does sound very daunting to like take inventory of everything you own. And I think a kind of step down from that is just to take the time to organize something or clean up an area. Like I think about that with the garage we were just talking about is now having done that, that was not about taking inventory. It was about tidying things up. But in the process, not only did I become aware of what I already had, I was also discouraged from buying more because I knew it would just lead to more clutter and maybe disguise the things I had. Like, I didn't see that grassy we already had because it was buried under other things. Exactly. So I think just doing a minor organization project, don't think of it as, I'm going to go take inventory. I'm going to list everything. But just engage in a process that makes you see the things you already own, I think is a really big help. Yeah. I mean, one thing that Kate did that I also did before this ban was go through how many books you already haven't read that you own. And I have a stack on my night table. And even during the ban, I went to the library with John and I ended up checking out two more books from the library. And the irony of that is that I have all these books I still have to read, but I'm still acquiring. But at least those were free and returnable and like a resource I have in my neighborhood. So I don't feel as bad that I got them from the library. It's not really a loss. Whereas buying them would make me feel like I totally failed, you know? Yeah. I think maybe we should wrap up this discussion with a conclusion of what we actually saved, like get into some numbers. John loves numbers. Well, I do love numbers, but this was a little tough to calculate because I was going back through some of our monthly budgets, trying to figure out exactly what 
our average spend in these categories that we restricted ourselves on. And it's tough because like home decor goes up and down like crazy for us, especially with the beach house. Right. Well, we bought a couch maybe six months ago and we also bought a bed maybe five months ago. So some months they were higher than others. Yeah. So this was a little bit of a, a rough number, but it looks like on average we spent about $550 on the categories that we restricted ourselves from. So home decor, clothing, cosmetics, you know. Books, shoes, magazines. So we theoretically saved ourselves $550 this month because we didn't spend in any of those categories. We didn't cheat. Right. It's hard to say what would we have spent, right? This is just a fake projection based on previous month's averages. And some of those months were high and some of those months were low. So it's just a guess. But I do feel it because when I dump things in the Amazon cart, it's not uncommon for us to spend about $100 a month on Amazon, just throwing things in the cart, making one big order. And it's not uncommon to walk into Target and spend $120 and maybe do that three times a month. Right. So right there, just in those two habits, when we eliminated those, it makes sense that we're saving hundreds of dollars a month. And Sherry and I were tempted to sort of extrapolate that number to the full year and say like, wow, we could save like over $6,000 a year if we kept the shopping ban up. I don't think that's really realistic because we would need to buy some of these things eventually. Right. Like this was no cosmetics for me because I knew I wouldn't run out in 30 days. But over a year, I would run out of things and have to buy them. Right. But I certainly wouldn't buy $6,000 worth of them. And we might have a big furniture purchase at some point. But still, I think the thing to take away from that number for us, maybe for other people, is that if you ever need a little bump in your savings, like maybe you're trying to save up for a big project or something like that, putting yourself on a temporary shopping ban might be the way to push yourself over that mark. Like if we needed $550 to complete some next project, like we have it in our bank account now because we took a break from buying all this frivolous stuff for a while. Yeah. I also think it would be great if you're saving up for a vacation. I know Kate said that a bunch, like she really wanted to travel more and she couldn't figure out how to do it because she was spending almost all of her income. And then she started the shopping ban and like 30% of her income was freed up to just travel on 30% of her income, which is so cool. And when I saw that $6,000 number, again, I know it's not super realistic that we could stick to it that strictly, but $6,000 is like an amazing family vacation. It's like the four of us go to Ireland or something, you know? And so I would just encourage people, if you feel like trying it and you're worried it's going to be hard, I think it feels like it's going to be harder than it actually is. When you're doing it, it's kind of invigorating because you're like, oh, I'm doing this new thing. And you want to do well, like you want to do it. Now, that being said, do you guys want to know what we're going to buy first now that we're done? Get ready. We're so fancy. Yep. We're going to buy ourselves a new broom. It's a broom for the garage. Yep. I realized my garage broom ended up at the beach house, and so I don't have a broom to sweep out the garage of leaves and stuff. So I'm getting myself a broom. And I said to him, John Petersick, you go get yourself a nice broom. You deserve it. Yes. I'm going to spoil myself. (laughs) Get one with like a comfort grip handle. It might have even like a loop at the top so it could hang it up on the wall. Oh my goodness. Take that. I'll dig it in a future episode. How about that? You will. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy baskets because I'm still thinking about those baskets for the media cabinet at the beach. I do think they're going to be functional. So I didn't buy them during the shopping ban. But now that it's over, I realize they are something I want. They have remained on the list this entire time. But that is something I think will make life easier. We are entering dangerous territory now. (laughs) Sherry is going to be unleashed in the basket aisle. The basket aisle is a dangerous place. Well, and once again, since we've been on a shopping ban, what we're digging this week did not cost us any money. No, mine did cost me money, but it fell under one of our rules. I take that back. But I'll tell you more about that after the break. So when John and I bought a new mattress last year, we ended up getting a hybrid mattress because after laying on a ton of them, we learned that we like the combination of soft, comfy foams and supportive coils. So that's why our interest was piqued by this week's sponsor, Agility Bed, because unlike most of those mail order mattresses, which are often just all foam, this one's a hybrid too. And I was 
definitely the pickier one when we were shopping, which I learned is because, guys, I'm a side sleeper. Here's what Anna at Agility had to say. Side sleepers a lot of times experience this sensation of the mattress not supporting them. Yep, John's a back sleeper. I mean, you feel like he could sleep on a rock. Yeah, well, I am also a side sleeper. And if you don't have something like a hybrid, then you're going to end up sinking instead of being supported. And that's not very comfortable. So if you think a hybrid mattress might be right for you, don't take our word for it. Try it out yourself. Agility Bed gives you an 100-night risk-free, no-questions-asked trial. And since Memorial Day is right around the corner, Agility is giving everyone $200 off with code MEMORIAL now through May 29th. And if you're hearing this after that, don't worry. Our listeners can still get $150 off any other day of the year with code YHL150. Just head over to agilitybed.com to get started. You know how I said for the garage, I didn't want to go buy just like a bunch of new like hooks and organization things. Well, I did kind of do that for another project. So as we were finishing up organizing the laundry room in the beach house, you know, that was one of the projects that we had planned before the ban. We had installed kind of this mudroom cabinet. It was an Ikea Pax wardrobe that we were using both to hide some ugly stuff and also to store like our brooms and our vacuum and kind of the cleaning supplies, the tall cleaning supplies at least. And I'll put pictures of this in the show notes and the link to it so you guys can see what I'm talking about if you're not familiar with the makeover we did. But to complete that project, I wanted to organize the stuff that we were putting in that cabinet because I think where we left it in the post was it was all kind of just thrown in there. And I wanted to actually like hang things on the wall because I found that when you have things like brooms or dust pans or uh, Swiffer, for instance, it's really helpful to have them off the floor and hanging on the wall like we did that in our closet here at home. And it's really nice just to have a spot for things. And so they're not all like banging around and getting tangled up on one another. Right. You want to reach in and grab one thing and I have to take four things out to get to the fifth thing. Exactly. And you know, when like the sticks of brooms and handles and stuff get crisscrossed, it's like basically a game of pickup sticks. Exactly. And I've talked in the past about how when I do these sort of things and what I did in the garage, it's like you just put in like a nail or a screw and often like the loop on the top of the broom or whatever will just hang over it. And it's super simple. That's what I would have loved to do here. But because the PAX has those really thin like particle board sides and it was kind of floating, I didn't trust it to hold the weight of a broom or like the little vacuum I wanted to hang in there. So I had to find another solution and I was going to turn to those 3M command systems. We talk a lot about those 3M command sticky things like we use the Velcro or the hook and loop tape a lot. You know, I think you've suggested using that stuff to keep drawers organized. Right. It keeps things from sliding around in your drawers. We use it to hang pictures on tile. You don't want to drill into your tile. Just use their 3M strips and just stick it up there. Yeah. I mean, this is not in any way sponsored by 3M. We buy it with our own $4 just like everyone else. Yes, we're just big fans and I knew. (laughs) This was a great application for it because they can hold heavy-duty things and I wouldn't have to nail into the PAX wardrobe. I would get more support. And so I went to Home Depot one day to look for these things, and there were a lot of new hooks that I hadn't seen before because we often just use the actual, like, Velcro strips, like I said. We don't rely as much on their hook systems. And they have some really good heavy-duty things for just this application. Specifically, there's something called a broom gripper. Sort of like a robot hand. Like you stick the broom between the two clippy parts, which are simulating the robot hand, which then holds the broom in perpetuity in your cabinet. And when you need it, you just grab it from the robot. Yeah, I mean, you probably need to see it to fully understand how it works. But I grabbed a couple of these and some big hooks that they sold so that I could put them on the inside of this cabinet and hang things damage free. I'll put a picture in the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast 
Not the prettiest thing. It's my old broom, as I mentioned. It's so much cuter than it was before, though, because everything is off the floor and you now can reach in and get anything out without moving anything else. Yes. And I also found this like decorative hook that almost looks like a black matte metal hook. It's like a double hook that I put on the back inside so that if we need to hang like an extra towel or I was going to say a purse, but I don't know who's hanging a purse in there. Certainly not me. I was just impressed by the selection. So I will put a link in the show notes to the specific things that we used again, as well as that picture so you can check it out. But I'm even more a fan of this command stuff now. And changing gears to what I'm digging this week, it's actually one of the library books I mentioned. Remember, I had all these books to read at home and I was fine with not buying any on the shopping ban. But then we went to the library and John was getting some and I was sucked into it and I decided to grab one or two also. They're free. Well, and people had so many recommendations for us after my trio of things I dug after spring break that we have a long list now. Exactly. And this one, a whole bunch of you said, it's Behind Closed Doors by B.A. Paris. I loved it. It's dark. It's twisty. Uh, Without giving away too much, it is a woman and her husband. They have a strange dynamic. It turns toxic. It has a awesome home decor tie-in because they live in a beautiful home that I love when it's described in detail. When she entertains, people are just like amazed by her gorgeous home. And some of the functions of the home are unexpected. So I'm trying not to give anything away. I haven't read this yet, so I don't know what you're talking about. But I feel like we're kind of zeroing in on a subgenre here. We have like, a genre of like dark books that have beautiful homes. I'm going to call them decor thrillers. <laughs> Seriously. But the thing I will say about this book, there are a lot of reveals that you don't see coming and then they explain it and you're like, oh, that gives so much more color to that scene or why that was being said or why that was happening. And one thing I loved about this book is it has the most most satisfying ending. I relished it. I sat there feeling very fulfilled by it when it was finished. And, you know, sometimes these dark books have just sort of like an eerie open-ended ending or an unsatisfying hook that they decide, oh, it was a fifth character that you never heard about. And you're kind of like, I never saw that coming. That's kind of a cheap shot to decide like, unexpected twist. It's this other guy. Like, I loved this book because the climax and the resolution of it was highly satisfying as a reader. Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. We're taking next week off for Memorial Day, so our next new episode will be out the following Monday on June 4th. I don't know how it's almost June already. I know, and it's almost the two-year anniversary of this podcast, which seems crazy because it feels like just yesterday I was getting the hang of this microphone. It is. Still getting the hang of it. Still getting the hang of it. (laughs) And thanks for telling us what you do while you listen, like Julie on Twitter, who listened while on a train traveling under the English Channel. She also added that none of her European hotels have had top sheets, so they are clearly all run by millennials over there. (laughs) And check out younghouselove.com slash podcast for all the bonus links, photos, and info from this episode. Like that shameful picture of our garage before we cleaned it out, and how we organized the mudroom at the beach house. And maybe even a picture of John with his new broom. I feel like he's very excited about that purchase. Later. Bye. Like, it just seems inconsequential. My soap pumps are fine. But when you're standing there in front of it, you're like, oh, you have this fantasy of, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh, the soap pump. You're like, oh, this fantasy. I have this fantasy. Okay, hold on. (laughs) Came from the gut.